We love you, Lord. Amen. Actually, Lauren, would you leave that light off for just a moment for me, please? We're going to look at a couple of things. We are glad that you are here this morning. It is good to see each and every one of you. I want to share a couple of uh, personal things before we get started. We are going to get into the beginning of Colossians this morning, uh, but a couple of things before we get there. Um, 17 years ago today, um, I got the second best example of the grace of God when I got to marry Dana Adams. Right? But I do have a confession to make. Um, I, I didn't put this on the resume. Didn't nobody ask, so I didn't say anything. But uh, we started out as as uh, as rebels, and uh, it's, it is. Uh, I don't want people throwing things at me. I'm going to fight back. And so we have uh, started out with a bang and have been going along ever since. So. Um, apart from the cross, I have learned grace and love through my wife uh, like no one else. Bo's got this look on his face like, what in the world? Oh, my eyes are bad. I need to go through the tailor. Um, <laughs> what are you doing? Is it, uh, we got, we're, we're leaving the church armed and dangerous. I see what you're separated already. I'm just leading the way for my wife, clearing out. Yeah, you're taking the lead. So that's number one. Um, People have been asking me for, well, actually, since we got here, actually, before we got here, we, back in July of 2010, um, we came and, and candidated and, and had dinner with lots of you. And one of the first questions that almost everybody asks was, so when is the church moving to Murphy? <laughs> I thought, I don't know. <laughs> actually, it was back in 2008 when this body of believers began that discussion of thinking we want to move the church to uh, to Murphy and and but this building has served our needs uh, up until you know about nine months ago when we started to begin feeling a little bit squinched and tight especially classroom space so we have been in the process of looking and searching and hunting and thinking and what does that look like and uh, still people keep asking me so What's the holdup? I don't know. Just I want to feel a peace about the decisions we make because it is a big decision to say we're gonna we're gonna take this body and we're gonna plant it, move it somewhere else. It's a it's a huge decision. Earlier this week, before our uh, elders retreat, which I'm gonna talk about in just a minute, um, just and I have been praying and thinking and praying and thinking for months. Uh, and what I've heard over and over again is, wait, wait, wait. Um, and this, this past week, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, somewhere along in there, just uh, this visual hit me and, and kind of felt, a, again, a, a piece about what we're doing in, in ministry-wise. I want to show you a couple of pictures. I want to describe two different models of, of the way that we can do church. Uh, this will be difficult to see, but I, I think you'll you'll get it. That's a map of Cherokee County. I know it's hard to see. You can't tell details, but uh, that's Murphy. 
That's Andrews. Okay? And this is where we are in this county. You may recognize yourself. You may not. If you don't recognize yourself on here, it's because we don't have an address for you. I don't know where exactly you live. And in fact, there are some people that uh, don't even fit on the map. We've got some people. Right? That's not everybody. But I want you to think not just, oh, that's where I live. That's where I have a sphere of influence. That's where I have neighbors. That's where I have a family. That circle doesn't represent just me and my family. It represents a sphere of influence that I possibly have. We could add a whole bunch of other circles because uh, a lot of you go to work. And so there's another sphere of influence. Okay? So there, there are two models we can think about. Uh, our church is located about right there. And so one model, this is the model that I've kind of had in my mind for a long time. I grew up in a small town. Everybody that, that went to the church that I went to in high school lived in that small town or very near that small town. And if that church was successful in making disciples, successful in teaching the Word of God, then those people would, in effect, have a profound impact on that town because there would be a whole lot of circles close together. And so we could operate under that model here. And if we did, really what would need to happen is it would look like this. There would be a whole bunch of us that would make a conscious decision and say, we're going to minister in the place where our church is. And so over the course of several months, we would sell what we have and move. And there would be a whole bunch of little circles concentrated around this church, town of Andrews. That's one model. It's often a, a model that you see in small towns. And we think, oh, we're a small town. Maybe that model works here. It's possible that God's Spirit would come upon us and say, yes, it's what we want to do. And we would all say, man, I like that. Buy into that. The problem is, that's not where we currently are. We are currently, whoops, like that. So there's another model. The other model is, is that as a church, we pour into one another's lives. We empower and equip you so that your sphere of influence grows, multiplies, so that, that you understand that your task in life is to minister where you live, where you work, and where you play. And so that over time, not only do those circles get bigger as you continue your, your impact where you are, but more circles appear as, as you talk to your neighbors about Christ. And more circles appear as people come to know Christ. And, and our influence grows. And then some of these young folks who are in high school go off to college and we need a new map. 
because we've equipped those kids to now move miles away, maybe hundreds of miles away, and all of a sudden our influence is not just Cherokee County, but it's places in North Carolina that we may never have dreamed of. And so if this is the model that we think we're about, equipping people to do ministry where they live, work, and play, then it really doesn't matter where this four-wall structure sits, in a sense. And to be quite honest, part of that is what's not given me peace because I felt like, well, if we pick up this church and move it somewhere west, two miles, five miles, ten miles, then we are, in a sense, abandoning a community. I don't like that. That doesn't sit well with me. But if we think about, really our goal is for over time, that map to become redder and redder and redder through larger circles and through more circles, then we're not really abandoning any place. We are equipping you as God's saints to do ministry where you are. And so, uh, as you know, we have been in negotiations with Mrs. Gibson about that building in Murphy for weeks. Um, much to her chagrin, I think. <laughs> uh, we've had some people draw some sketches. We have some diagrams over the course of the next week and a half. We're going to get a definite price on what it would take for us to build that building out uh, completely, then also in stages. Uh, in two weeks, we'd like to have just a, a congregational meeting where we sit down and say, okay, here's what we have, here's what we can do, uh, and just get input. Uh, I will, you've got, you've got those, I've got one of them, you've got the other one. I'll scan those in and send out just some, some rough sketches of what that building might look like. Right now it's an empty shell. We went and looked at it as a group, those at one or two, a couple weeks ago. Um, so April 1st after church, we'll regather in here and just kind of talk about that. Uh, we still would like input, um, on whether that's the direction that we want to go as a church. Um, but I want you to think about those two models and what that looks like. And again, if God's Spirit comes upon us and says, yeah, we like that, <laughs> we'll all sell our house and we'll all move to Andrews and we'll change that community or we'll change the community that we're in and, and those circles get bigger. Continue to pray and think and, and uh, pray with us as we think about what it means for us to be Christ Community Church Cherokee County, which is really our official name and has been since this church began. So pray about those things with us. Uh, second, actually third thing, um, thank you for praying for us as we had our elders retreat uh, Thursday through Saturday morning. Um, let me give you a, a couple of just big picture things of, of what I learned. Um, Number one, and I knew this, but it became very evident to me that uh, you have some elders that serve this church who, first of all, without any shame or, what's the word, hesitation, are passionately and wholeheartedly in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It 
it thrills my heart as we sat and wrestled through lots of issues that we continue to go back to as we sang, Christ is the center. Number two, and, and as important as elders, um, this may sound a little backwards, but more than loving you, Chad and Bo love God's church. And that's important. Because if, if it's just, and it's not just, but if it's just loving you as individuals, which they do and they should, then we die, we move on, we hurt one another, we don't follow God. We are not permanent. Christ's church will endure forever. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they love Christ's church. Which means they love you. And are passionate about you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So for me, it was a thrilling uh, day and a half, two days together of being reminded of those two things. But also they do care and love about each one of you. Um, we prayed for you. We uh, thought and planned with with you as individuals in mind. Um, and talk, I want to be relatively vague this morning, um, but some ideas, and again, we'll talk more about those on April 1st, some specifics, but the first thing we did was we looked at our mission statement and said, is this right? And we, we want to think about tweaking that a little bit uh, because the first question, what does God want us to do? We have to answer that question, first of all. Um, and so our mission statement's on the front of the bulletin, if you have one of those. Um, as we talked about that and thought about that, we thought that maybe there were parts of that that were a little redundant. And also it's a mouthful. And so we wanted to simplify it. And anything that we change in our Constitution, which is our mission statement, requires a vote. We'll talk about that later. Nothing's changed. We just want to present something that looks a little different and it's easier to swallow. Um, so the first part hasn't changed. God wants us to glorify Himself. First and foremost, we said last week, it's not about us. It's about Him. We think that we do that uh, in two very important ways. Um, as we've talked about before, as being Christ-centered. Philippians 2 says, One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's desire is that we magnify His Son. Uh, and two, that we are spiritually vibrant people. Uh, that word vibrant means sharp and uh, bright and uh, people notice us. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is, because of His Spirit. All of that uh, informed by the Bible. We are people of biblical integrity, meaning two things, really. Uh, integrity coming from the word where we get the word integer or whole. So all of the Bible informs those two things, and all the Bible informs all of our lives. We're not broken up. We're not in pieces. 
So what needs to happen for this mission to be realized? There are two key components that we think are true for every single person in this room. And everything that we do needs to fit in one of these two categories for that first thing to be true. Number one, we need to practice community. We need to be unified as a body. We need to continue to grow in the way we love each other and care for each other. Not only the ones that that we already know and are good friends with, but those that we don't know well. And we need to practice community with the world out there. We need to get to know our neighbors, those people who don't know Christ and invest in their lives. There's an internal aspect and an external aspect to that. Same is true for the second thing, uh, to know and to live the Bible. Those are very simple things, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, whatever we're doing, does it fit in one or both of those categories? And how does, it, how does that work? We're going to talk about very specific things uh, in a couple of weeks. We're still tweaking through and, and working through some things. Um, but we just wanted to make sure that the framework of our ship was going in a certain direction um, what's exciting also is the fact that, I don't know if you know this or not, but me and Chad and Bo have extremely different personalities. <laughs> we are very, very different in how we were raised, where we were raised, our church background, uh, the things that we, um, our experiences... Our ages, our station in life, very different people. And yet, despite all of those differences, um, we are and were, even though there were times when we were trying to, we were using different words to communicate the same idea, we agreed on so many things about what this church should look like, does look like, and will look like. And that's exciting. All these different Three different people in a room stuck together for <laughs> 48 hours or so. And over and over again, yes, that's what we want. Yes, that's what it should look like. Yes, that's the way this, this church looks. So we're excited about that. I'm excited about that. Uh, that gives me hope that we, as a body, have some place to go and uh, a mission and a direction that will please God. And so, again, we'll talk about some very specific things in a couple weeks. We're still trying to work through some, some what's the word, details, wording, semantics, maybe. Okay, those are things I wanted to share. And now we are going to talk about <laughs> Colossians this morning. Let me read to you from Colossians. I had asked you uh, during the week to read through that. Um, I would love for you, if you have not done that yet, or if you have done that, that as we go through this book over the course of the next several weeks, that you would continue to do that. It's really short. It really takes about five to ten minutes to read. Would you make it a, a habit to read through this book once a week, if not more? Some of you may be even more... Um, energetic than that, and we're going to take this book in short little bite-sized sections, you may desire to memorize sections of Scripture. Next week, we're going to look at uh, just 
3 through 8, fairly short little uh, section. Maybe you want to begin committing parts of this to memory. I would encourage you to do that. Colossians chapter 1, we read these words. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would bless our time, that you would encourage us, that we would be challenged to be the church you have called us to be. Pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds and our wills, ultimately. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians is about the centrality of the grace of God. The centrality of the grace of God. Over and over and over and over again, Paul, in this short little book, talks about who Christ is and what He has done for us. Whether it is uh, your marriage or your prayer life, whether it is your habits or your thought life, whether it is how you relate to your best friend or how you relate to someone you don't even know, This book is centered around who Christ is, what He has done for us in every aspect of your life. My desire, my hope, is that when we are done, you have not only a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, but you have a deeper relationship with those in your life because of what He has done. Um, Just some introductory material. I don't know how well that map shows up. I think it's not too bad. Uh, Colossae is right there. This is modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece, obviously Italy, Jerusalem, Israel right here. Um, It appears that Paul actually never went there, though we're not sure. There's no record of it in Acts. He says in Colossians 2.1, talking about people that he hasn't seen their face directly. And there are two really big theories as to from where he wrote this and when he wrote this. The most common, the most popular, is that he was in prison in Rome when he wrote this book. If that's the case, it would have been in the early 60s A.D. But there's another theory that seems to make sense in a lot of ways, is that actually he was in prison in Ephesus, just up the road, during part of those three years that he ministered. Now, the book of Acts doesn't mention an Ephesus imprisonment, but we read Paul's letters, and he was in prison far more times than the book of Acts tells us about. Two, there's some relatively casual conversation in Colossians about uh, the pastor of that church, Epaphras, and him going back and forth to see Paul. And then a book written at the same time, Philemon, about Paul sending a runaway slave back and hoping to come as well. And if he were in Rome, that's an awful long way to travel just in a casual conversation. If he was in Ephesus, then it happened in the mid-50s or so. Either way, Paul was in prison. And that church had to have been fairly new. Because Paul didn't plan it. A guy named Epaphras did and had, been, had traveled to see him and told him the news of this young church, this young body of believers. 
Colossae is in what's called the Lycus Valley. There are two other towns that are mentioned in the book of Colossians, Hierapolis and Laodicea. That would have been a mix of Romans and Greeks and Jews from some other writings we have during that time in the mid-60s. It appears in that valley, in those three towns, there were about ten to 11,000 Jews living there. So that young church would have been an odd mix of people that were Jewish and Greek and Roman. And not just those people, but their cultures and their religion. Not a whole lot different than us, really. Most of us didn't come from other religions, but we certainly came from different church backgrounds, different denominations. Some of us grew up as in the first Methobacterian church, right? We hopped around and did lots of things. We come with different ideas. We come with different backgrounds. We come from different parts of the country, and we're a fairly young church. And so the things that Paul is speaking to the Colossians are very applicable for us. Whenever an author doesn't say, I'm writing to you because... Scholars love to play the why is he writing game. And you can literally read dozens of theories as to what was wrong with the Colossians that made Paul write this letter. Literally, dozens. Everybody's got an idea of, of what the local heresy was, what the false teachers were about, what was going on. Because there are so many different theories, I tend to think that there wasn't really one at all. That Paul was writing to a new church to lay a foundation of, here's how you avoid all the problems that are going to come your way. If you buy into these truths, you can avoid the issues that are going to come your way. He wants them to, to not lose sight of the main thing, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's what informs everything that we do. It keeps us, as N.T. Wright says, away from the constant search for spiritual novelties, the unnecessary anxieties and fears over status or requirements, and the pride over small achievements. If our eyes are fixed upon Christ, as Paul wants the Colossians to do over and over again, we tend to not get into trouble by chasing something that is not worth chasing. So where are we going to go over the course of the next several weeks? Um, lots of places. Colossians like Ephesians, like Romans, Paul really kind of breaks it down. The first half is doctrine, the second half is practicality, though not as cut and dry as, say, Romans and Ephesians. There are some commands in the first two chapters, not many, but there are some. And there are some doctrine in the last two chapters, not as much, but there is some. Chapter 1 starts out talking about the gospel, what it does, how we respond to it, what it does in us. And then he ends with, what makes that possible? Jesus Christ. On Easter morning, we will spend a significant amount of time talking about Christ, who He is, our glorious Savior. Chapter 2 um, talks about what to avoid. 
What not to get into? How to keep from being led astray? What is central to our theology and what are we not supposed to add to Christ? We're good at doing that. We like to add things to who Jesus is. Chapter 3 talks about being Christ-focused in our life, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions. We will also see in chapter 3 that Paul is very specific and we will spend a week on each of these. He talks to husbands specifically. He talks to wives specifically, to parents specifically, to children specifically. And we will spend four weeks on those four items. The week we're talking about husbands, wives, make sure you bring them. No elbowing in the ribs, but bring them. You can even bring them paper and pencil for them to take notes. He also deals with those issues in culture that we know are wrong and yet are so pervasive that it seems overwhelming. He talks about a wonderful way where we undermine the pervasive culture. We're going to talk about that. And then chapter 4, there are lots of people he mentions. And we're going to talk about what it looks like when people buy into what he said, that Christ is the sinner, and what happens when people don't. And there are examples of each of those in the end. Well, what does that have to do with this stack of boxes up here? Maybe that's the question. Or a postcard you got in the mail. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't get a postcard in the mail, it's the same reason you're not on our map. I don't have your address. These boxes represent areas of of my life and probably yours as well. See, I've I've got a box that, that I label husband. Right? I've got another box that I label image. I have still another box that I label relationships. I've got Another box that I label read your Bible. You see, I've got so many things in my life that I do that I want to bring glory to God through. And they're all good things. See, I've got this this box labeled husband, and I want to be a good husband, so I make sure that I put good things in my box, right? Uh, I've got this book called Each for the Other by Brian Chappell. An excellent book on how being a good husband, so I put that in my box, right? Um, I I remember the the day of my wedding, a reminder of, of the grace that I have. That goes in my box, right? Uh, I got a new book just this week, uh, Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage. So far, just an excellent book on on what that is. That will help me be a good husband, right? It goes in the box. I have a wedding ring, a reminder of the covenant that I made with my wife 
that regardless of what happens, I will love her and care for her and be faithful to her until death do us part, right? I can put that in the box, but I'm going to keep it on because I'll lose it otherwise. <laughs> but it, that, that idea, that idea of covenant goes in the box. In every one of these boxes, I'm trying to do that. And I find that my box, I got so much good stuff in here, my box doesn't close. I spend time and energy and effort on all of these things and I'm overwhelmed because I can't do, I can't do all of these things well. I find that I'm, I'm focusing on this and, and realize, oh, I, I didn't do that. Or I'm so caught up in this that I'm so, I'm so caught up in that checking off the boxes. I did, I did that today, did that today, that I'm just doing that today. I didn't think about what I read. I just checked my box. I, I put a few chapters in there, made sure that I had everything straight and leave that I'm not any different. And you're probably like me. You probably could pick up every one of these boxes and put a word on it. And you say, I want to be God-honoring in this area of my life. And what we find is we spend so much energy and so much effort and so much time in each of these boxes that we go, Christian life is hard. It's overwhelming. Just when I think I've got being a decent husband down, I find out I'm a lousy father. Just when I get in the habit of, of reading my Bible really well, I, I realize I haven't helped wash the dishes in two weeks. Ah, oh, not enough hours in the day. And Paul tells us in Colossians, don't think outside the box. There's just one that's important. And if you get that one arranged correctly, you don't have to worry about all these other ones because they will fall into place. And as you think about those, as I think about being a husband, if I'm not thinking outside the one box, I will put the right things in here. They may be the same things. I may still read the same books. I may still go to the same marriage conference. I may still remember the covenant I made with my wife. But my energy and my effort will be on the one box and not this box. And all of a sudden, this box will change. In fact, it'll go away in one sense. Because... My energy is focused on the right thing. And as we will see through the book of Colossians, that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When He is put in His right place in our mind, in our attitude, in our actions, then what we find is that Jesus was right when He said, take my yoke upon you, right? It's easy. It's light. 
your life will make sense when Christ is the center of your life. When Paul uses words like when he rejoices that they understood the grace of God in truth. When he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. When he asks them to set their mind on things above, not on things on earth. When he says, since you've been chosen by God and are holy and beloved. This is the result. This is what happens. The burden drops off. It becomes easier. So as we go this week, as we leave this place, as we think about what we're doing, how many boxes are you juggling? See, I can take this and I can take this, and I can take this, and I can keep them in the air for about that long. Right? If I practice, I could do it for a few more seconds. If they were round, I could do it for maybe ten, but eventually they're coming down. There's really only one box that's important for you to keep your mind on, and we will spend the next several weeks looking at that one box, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we study the book of Colossians together. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for today, and we thank You for um, Your grace. We thank You that we get together and fellowship. Thank You that we get to sing of Your goodness and Your love. We thank You that we get to hear from Your Word. And we thank You that we get to think about what we're about as a church, the direction that we're going. God, I pray that as we now go to our classes, as the kids go and, and learn more about you, God, I pray that you would bless their time as some of the adults go and learn more about who you are, that you would bless our time and our conversation. As conversation happens in the hallway here in a few minutes, that you would use that for your glory and for our good. And God, as we go out into this community this week, I pray, I ask, we plead with your spirit that you would make us more like you, that others would see you in us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.